Well, good morning. I think I know most of the wonderful faces here. I'm Peter Reinke. I have the great honor to be the head of school for this incredible choir sitting behind me. And in fact, uh, coming up this Thursday is one of my favorite uh, days of the year. Uh, it is our 55th annual Christmas pageant here at St. James Episcopal School. We have some uh, former school parents who are in our eight o'clocker group uh, who were excited to get that update. Are we, do we have any former St. James parents here at the 1030? Okay, of course, Sarah Jane, of course. So it's a wonderful, wonderful occasion. And uh, we come in here around six in the evening. You can imagine the candlelight. Uh, and our students have memorized pieces of scripture and beautiful songs, hymns, spirituals, uh, and other verse from around the world celebrating the birth of Christ. And it's really uh, a very holy experience. And of course, we will be having our, our church lessons and carols uh, this evening, which I'm looking forward to participating in. Sarah Jane, I'll be there on time, I promise. I will say, I, don't know, I, I do want to give a shout out also to Ms. Cartagena and Dr. Lee. They probably don't have the same uh, nostalgic and beatific view of the pageant that I get to have sitting out here because they are the architects of it and they do an extraordinary job uh, and uh, we're really looking forward to it this Thursday. Well, at chapel at school, we begin our service and I ask the children two questions and I'm going to ask our wonderful choir to be my amen corner today and an answer for our parishioners. God is good and all the time. Amen. And how are we today? And we're blessed because we're in God's house and God always keeps us where? Amen. In the palm of God's hand. And I think that's something that John the Baptist understood uh, tremendously well, and we'll talk about that uh, in a few moments. I see my good friend Dr. Pat in the audience, and I know she's been thinking, oh Lord, Peter's preaching? We're going to be here for a couple hours, and I'm pretty sure he's going to break into song. Well, Dr. Pat, you're right, at least on one count, we'll find out if it's two, but at least on one count. And that is, uh, I wanted to share with you one of my favorite songs, just the first stanza about John the Baptist. And those of you from the Baptist tradition, if you know it, why, you feel free to jump in as well. I, I have a strong voice. It will be very off key, but you'll be able to hear it. I want to be ready. I want to be ready. I want to be ready. I think some folks know this song. To march in Jerusalem just like John. What a powerful, powerful figure John the Baptist was. And as a school principal, I can't help but think a little bit about who would he have been as a student at St. James Episcopal School. I don't think he would have been someone who used ruler very well, Mrs. Damaris. I'm not sure he was a student who would follow our handbook as, 
as we might hope. He might be a student who would spend a lot of time in the head of school's office. John the Baptist was not someone who valued following any institution or society's rules, and he was a child who I imagine would have loved uh, to question authority and to raise a lot of questions. It's hard to imagine him growing up as he did and not being that kind of a child. I imagine he could have been at a school, perhaps he was at that school with his cousin Jesus, and there they were. They wouldn't have been playing handball uh, in those days, but they would have probably been playing an early biblical version of marbles, which actually was something that in biblical times children played an early version of that. I would think a little bit about John the Baptist as a child and think probably as I do whenever I have a child who is sitting in my office, a little bit about their family and what might be going on at home. And I would, with John the Baptist, I hope, remember, this is a child who knew from birth that he had an awesome legacy to fulfill. It might have broken a lesser child, but John knew he had this tremendous path he was going to go on. Remember, he comes from a family with a lineage of activism and scholarship that dated back to Moses. John the Baptist, his parents, Zechariah and Elizabeth, were both descendants of Aaron, Moses' brother. And they came from generation upon generation of priests. For generations, they had used their education to be teachers and to be preachers. They hadn't uh, gone into the pyramid market. They hadn't tried to make a fortune. They had, for generations, been highly educated, but always sort of standing outside of the economic structures of the society. John would have, even if he couldn't explain it, would have seen it when he was a child. I think about his birth story. There was his father, Zachariah, well-educated priest, and probably once in your lifetime as a priest, you get that opportunity to go into the sanctuary, that special part of the temple where no one can go. Remember in those days, the temple would have been like a galleria. People would go to get their, their uh, meat blessed uh, and butchered in a proper way. You would hang out there with your friends. There might be a Starbucks in the temple. It was a place everybody would go to be in fellowship, but obviously the sanctuary and where the candles were lit was just for the priests, and of course it would be a priest's lifetime opportunity, probably would only happen once, that you would be asked to light those candles. Zechariah drew the lot there nine months before John was born, was sent in to light the candles, and the archangel Gabriel appeared before him. Now, Zachariah, to put it delicately, he and Elizabeth were a little long in the tooth. They had their AARP cards. They were already looking at a place in Palm Springs. Retirement accounts were looking pretty good, and they were planning to retire. But the archangel Gabriel appears and says, Zachariah, you may have thought your days as a priest were just about over. But as the priests here know, a priest's job is never done until they're at the grave. 
he said, actually your job's just beginning. You're going to have a child, you and Elizabeth. And Zachariah was stunned. And he made the poor decision to offer Gabriel some constructive feedback that perhaps he had the wrong priest. I don't think I would have much cared to work for Gabriel, Mrs. Damaris, because he didn't take a lot of back talk. And he immediately struck poor Zachariah down and said, you won't speak until the baby is born. Elizabeth didn't care she was euphoric. She had wanted to have a baby for so long. There was gossip then, but there's gossip now. Here was this family, Zachariah and Elizabeth, they both come and are descendants of the house of Aaron, all priests, and God wouldn't bless them with a child? There's stigma today for women who can't have children. It was a hundred times worse in biblical times. So Elizabeth's euphoric. She's now finally been blessed. And we all know that wonderful story that there she is practically skipping down the street and she bumps into her cousin Mary and she shares with Mary, I'm pregnant. Isn't it a blessing? And Mary hugs her and says, yes it is. And Mary, of course, is pregnant too. So John comes out of that incredible tradition, a joyous tradition from the time he was a small child that he was going to be part of something much, much, much bigger than himself. If we fast forward to the scripture reading today, John has been there now, being what we would in modern day perhaps call a social justice warrior. He was somebody who understood his society was profoundly broken. We often say at the school, our society is a beautiful place. It's complicated, but it's beautiful. John might have said the same thing. He also might have used some choicer language and said, actually, we've got a lot of really big problems here. Our Christian tradition, of course, comes out of the uh, Judeo tradition, but the biblical society, of course, in those days was Roman. And every time you turned around, someone was getting sacrificed, or they were worshiping 82 different gods, a lot of corruption. I just finished watching the uh, Stars series about Livia, the wife of Augustus. My goodness, those folks needed to go to confession. Ancient Rome was not a place of high morals. And that the society as a whole was one which was grappling with extraordinary poverty, fear of violence, disconnection, a question about what was the point of it all. It doesn't sound too far off from much of what we struggle with in the American society today. Are we still that city on a hill that John Winthrop said back in the 1600s, or are we confused about where we are going? And what is the role of our beloved Episcopal Church in getting us there? So John was there trying to get the society to look at itself. We heard a little bit in the, in the Old Testament and New Testament readings about the feelings of this society being blemished and really cracked and was it really salvageable? And these are the questions that he's asking. Of course, no society likes it when people point out that their power structure needs to be reorganized. 
Pharisees were not great fans of John. The Pharisees were very good at religion, and they knew their Torah, and they knew their scripture, but they were not people who were actually aligned and in touch with God. They were much more in touch and aligned with religion. We're very blessed here at St. James that religion and faith conflate so beautifully. But there's a lot of places, we can all think of some, where religion might be over here and God is over here. And that was the case with the Pharisees. There were rumors, by the way, that some of the Pharisees had uh, been looking for an agent in Hollywood to launch a new series, The Real Pharisees of Beverly Hills. It just shows you where they were in their mindset at that time. And they try to trick poor John the Baptist. They want him to say, I am the Messiah. I am a new brand. I am the one that has all the answers. I'm the one you should follow. And by the way, I probably need a book deal and to talk with some folks at Nike. They wanted him to say that. They wanted him to trick him. But John the Baptist didn't do that. He again understood his role. And he said, I'm just a lonely voice calling out in the wilderness to try to change the society. And there is someone greater than I who is coming, who is going to set everything right. John the Baptist, as scripture tells us here today, is also talking to us in modern society of how do we make room for our higher power? In our Christian tradition, that's Jesus. Other traditions, it may be uh, the idea of a higher power. There may be folks in here who don't necessarily even practice a religion. But how do you put room in your heart for that higher power for who we in the Christian tradition call Jesus to be present? How do we Thread the needle that when you make room for Jesus, it doesn't make you smaller, it makes you bigger. These are the questions, of course, that we struggle with as modern-day Christians. And as we prepare for Advent and for the birth of Christ, it's something I hope all of us are able to think a little bit about. It's hard to do. By the way, it was hard for the followers of John the Baptist. I mentioned the Pharisees, in between trying to sell their TV pilot, they weren't the only ones who were concerned. John the Baptist's followers were also concerned. Some of them had thought maybe John the Baptist is going to be something really big, and here I am on the ground floor of this new enterprise he is building. So John the Baptist said to his followers the same thing he said to the Pharisees, which is, uh-uh, that's not what this is about. We're just preparing the way for someone else. But again, that idea of elevating Christ, for many of us, instinctively, it means somehow we're losing our identity. But in reality, embracing Christ just increases our own identity. It even makes it more clear. Before I close, I think of followers of Jesus himself who really struggled with this. St. Peter, upon the rock of which the Christian church was built, in the end couldn't stand with Jesus and 
pretended he didn't know him, not once, not twice, but thrice. His human frailties wouldn't allow him to have Christ be bigger. And of course, when Peter is later crucified, he actually is crucified upside down because it was his ultimate apology uh, to Jesus. Even though he built this church, he still realized he had let the Savior down. So I share all that to say this is tough work. Tough work to, to put that space for the higher power. And as we are now in the middle of Advent, many of us are thinking about what will our New Year's resolutions be. Perhaps we're thinking about what's the resolution we're going to make for Lent coming up in a couple of months. And I hope that as we do that, we think about that idea of making room for Jesus and thinking about what are the part of parts of our identity that act as obstacles to stop us from making Christ bigger. We all have those. It's a tough needle to thread. But I would humbly suggest that if we can contemplate on that idea that our path to grace and living in that holy light that resides in all of us, that Holy Spirit, it'll be revealed through walking that path. I wonder as I close if I can ask a member of the choir here, Calista, maybe Alyssa there, can you stand up for a second and go down here? Let's go down, stand up and go down right here uh, in front of the altar. It's down in front of the steps we do our birthday blessings uh, during the week. I wonder if you can just look closely at that floor. Do you see any footprints on that floor? Are there any footprints there? And I wonder, Alyssa, if you could just look down the aisle there. Do we see any footprints? Probably not, because we keep the church very clean and we do mop it every day. But I will say, with contemplation and prayer, there is a set of footprints that we can see. Those are the footprints of Jesus Christ. And if we can meditate on that, we'll be able to see them, and we're going to be able to know where the good Lord wants us to go next. Amen? Amen. Amen.